listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm talking with Chrysostomos Argyrakis. Chris is the head of the music program at Andrew Jackson Elementary School, a K-8 public school in South Philly. With no curriculum and no funding in place when he took the job, Chris managed to crowdfund enough money to purchase 30 guitars. The kids loved it so much that some even started coming to school early to play, and it wasn't too long until this group started to evolve into something bigger. which plays shows year-round, has been featured in a documentary, and has even played cover songs alongside the original band. This band from Iceland that's, you know, touring the world at this point because, you know, they have a hit single and they walk in and she and I looked at each other like, is this really happening? Stay tuned for the story of how Home, an elementary school rock band, became internet famous and gave an invaluable musical outlet to inner city kids. Right now on Philly Who. We spent so much time here. We love this environment. We're happy here like a family. Can we call it home? Stay tuned at the end of the episode to hear Home performing Little Talks alongside the song's original artist of Monsters and Men. So, Chris Argyrakis was born and raised in Northeast Philadelphia and actually purchased and still lives in his childhood home. Music was his passion from the start, and after graduating high school, he attended the University of the Arts to become a professional drummer. While there, he developed an appreciation for classical music and decided to pursue a career in television and film scoring. So, he packed up and moved to L.A., where he would apprentice with successful composers such as Mark Isham and William Ross. But after spending six years doing this, he wasn't really feeling the gig lifestyle and the uncertainty and sometimes futility that comes with it. I found something for, ironically, a Greek television show being shot in Astoria, New York. And I had many conversations with them. I, I went up to there to meet them and I uh, tempt their pilot. And they sound very happy with it. But in the last second, they decided to go with canned music. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, ouch. Yeah. And that was right at the same time that I was actually enrolled in the uh, MAT program at UART. So I said, you know, I think this is a sign to really put all my efforts into education. So, he would do just that and go back to UArts to get his master's in music education. But even though he had two degrees in music and experience in rock bands and score composition, he would find that his skill set didn't really line up with what is usually expected of music teachers. Tradition in music education is concert band, marching band, orchestra, chorus. For what we do at Jackson, that's, that's not, you know, traditionally what you're going to find in elementary and middle schools or even high schools for that matter. So when, you know, it was time for us to decide where we're going to do our student teaching placement, you know, I had to decide between those things like jazz or chorus or orchestra. And I felt very confident as far as like, you know, being able to 
conduct an orchestra because I'd done all that work with you know orchestral scores. But part of that means that you have to teach you know the instruments. You know, so you'll teach your ensemble, and then they'll pull you down. You'll pull the students down for you know either small group lessons or individual lessons, which m- might have me teaching an oboe lesson, yeah. which I'm not going to do it. You know, it'd be a great disservice to a student if I had to do that. And so I thought, well, I could go back to the drawing board and really shed on you know wind instruments or brass instruments. Um, but I knew that wasn't where I was headed. And so I did band in my student teaching placement, both of them. And because at least, you know, I could play drums and I can help students with drums and keyboards, the saxophones and trumpets, not so much. But right when I graduated, like I said, I was still kind of thinking, well, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to get into? And I didn't know. I didn't know what grade level I was going to get into. And Really, one of my main objectives was to go to a school called uh, the Arts Academy of Benjamin Rush, which is literally around the corner from me. I went to a, um, I guess it was a site selection, sort of a job fair at the uh, 440 building at the um, School District of Philadelphia, because I knew that the principal from Rush was going to be there. So, you know, I was old enough to know you've got to be proactive. And I went down to meet her and I just introduced myself and told her a little bit about my background and that I wanted to work at the school. And at the time, the school hadn't opened. So I thought it was great timing. You know, I came back, I have my certification, my degree now, and wouldn't it be great if I could just go work there? And, uh, you know, she she had already hired a teacher, and but we kept in touch after that. And um, at the same job fair, we'll call it, uh, instead of, I almost just walked out the door, but I said, hey, let me take one walk around. And there was the Jackson School up there and this tiny little booth and it just had a little card up there that said music. And I just said, oh, I'm a music teacher. And they said, well, come on in for an interview. I went in the next week and literally on my ride home, she called and offered me the position. Yeah. So what was the music program at Jackson like at that point? They didn't have a music program. Oh, so <laughs> so you were interviewing to be the music teacher at a school that didn't have a music program. Correct. Did they tell you that? Uh, no, I think I found that out. I think someone else who had been at the school for a long time said there hadn't been a full-time music program here in uh, 20, 25 years, I think. So, you know, what, what at that point was a real disadvantage because there was nothing there turned out to be an advantage in the long run. Really? Why? I wasn't taking over a program where I was expected to do, you know, what the previous teacher had done. Right. So, you know, as the first year, year and a half progressed, I realized, you know, I'm in a position that I can basically do my thing. You know, I can teach towards my skill set. I don't have to teach trumpet lessons. We don't have a strings program. We don't have a a brass program. And uh, so I was able to slowly develop the curriculum based around what I could do. And also, you know, my first year there, I was in a small classroom, which... You know, it's funny, you know, when I pass it now to think of how big my room is and all the instruments that we have that I never would have been able to do it in this room. But there was this enormous room in the, you know, the basement. And it really was this, this dirty old room that I think they just, it was storage, basically. A couple of the senior teachers there had said, you really should check out this space. And I went down and as soon as I peeked through, I, I knew there was something in that. Yeah. I knew that my future in this school, whether it's two years or whether it's 20 years, is going to be in this room. 
And, you know, I got them to let me in. And the principal, basically, at the end of my first year, said, yeah, you want it, it's yours, just got to clean it up. And, you know, it's the type of thing you'd open the door and you'd hear, like, the scamper <laughs> of the little, you know, the mice. Well, so uh, when you started, what was your, what's your first move? So you, you recognize the fact that it's Greenfield, right? And you can make whatever you want out of this. You know, you get to build your own program. What's your first step? How do you even approach that? It was a daunting task. So, you know, I, I just took what... Uh, you are said prepared me for, you know, how we look at a position like a K to eight program. And that's what most people don't really recognize is, you know, for a K through eight program, you're teaching, uh, for the younger kids because attention spans are shorter. You're teaching upwards of four to five lessons in a class in a 45 minute class. You can't teach, you know, a 45 minute history lesson to, you know, first or second graders. And also, of course, yeah, I don't have resources. So, uh, you know, I'm just pulling from anywhere I could. What we had developed, you know, my cohort at the University of the Arts at the time, you know, shared all of our plans that we were developing on our student teaching. And, you know, obviously they were fairly accessible online. Granted, we're still talking, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, And, you know, just buying books and just trying to find anything that I could that didn't require a lot of instruments. Yeah. And everyone said, there was so many teachers at Jackson that were so supportive of me. And they said, you know, your first year is gonna be the hardest. And they reiterated that so many times to say, you know, to think like, you know, just check in on me. Are you all right? How's it going? And I guess I was old enough then because I wasn't, you know, 22 and coming right out of school to say, you know, I'll get through this, I'll figure this out. And I did, you know, by the end of my first year, you, you go into your summer, you know, obviously relieved that you're done, but also, you know, feel like, oh, I can do this. I can try this. So I was buying more books. I was thinking, how can I try, uh, you know, raising some money? What can I do? Because I'd ask my principal if um, I could ask the parents for money. You know, And I was really specifically asking her if I was can buy some recorders, but ask everyone to bring in $5. But she wouldn't allow that. We don't do that. So, you know, I'm thinking and all right, how, if I need, you know, recorders for two classes or however, I'm going to need, you know, $100, whatever. How can I do that? And I started doing that as soon as I got back into my second year. Gotcha. So at what point did you start teaching guitar? I had done some fundraising. I used to cycle Donors Choose. And around the holidays, I posted a new project for uh, 30 student guitars. And it really was, you know, like, oh, this is a lot of money. How am I, I going to get this fulfilled? It's so much, I don't know, $800 maybe, which was a fortune thinking then. Um, because I didn't have any network in that area. Uh, so I'm like, well, you know, you can go through your personal network. But I also thought like, wow, if I had those, I could use them for third to fourth grade and up. So I can develop lesson plans for all those classes. Plus I had the recorder. So all of a sudden it's thinking if I get those, I have so much more to do. And you know, the lesson plans will be a higher quality, I think, and I can develop units that'll, you know, last me more than one class. Surprisingly, I got that fulfilled during my winter break of my second year. And um just so excited because they, you know, they were being shipped out pretty soon. And then, you know, so when we got back to it. I could start teaching this new curriculum. So you don't have any funding from the district. You are unable to ask the parents to fund these things. So you turn to Donors Choose. Now to date, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you've raised $35,000 worth of funding for these programs, correct? Yeah. So is that some sort of skill that you picked up elsewhere or did you rely completely on donors choose for this kind of thing? Who is donating this money? Like, how did you achieve that? If I had a project for, you know, $800 to $1,000, I would chip in $100 thinking, you know, in my opinion, it comes back to you. And then I would just ask, you know, families and friends. And then, you know, there would be, I think when you get into an environment like ours and, and the parents can see that you're committed to staying there beyond, you know, a year or two. When you hear the stats about the turnover in schools and how short of a span, you know, some new teachers last, the parents realize that. So if they see you're committed and you're, you have a lot of energy and you want to do good things for your school, they're more inclined to help. And I'm not saying there was a lot, and it really might have been two or three, but it, it's just networking. It's just trying to get the word out. And I even remember at that time, I was literally you know, writing letters to all the businesses. And it was before Passionk really blew up. And I was writing to businesses all within two or three blocks, anyone I could find, and calling them to following up on it. I think maybe... You know, one or two of them helped me out, but that's fine. You know, it could have been I wrote to 50 of them and one or two chipped in a little something. So it was hard, but it really like I just kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel. If I get this, I can do this. If I get this, I can do this. So, yeah. How did then the guitar program? So at this point, you've gotten recorders, you've gotten guitars, you have an after school guitar program, correct? Yeah, it was actually before school. It was before school. Oh, yeah. so it was early in the morning. Yeah. Uh, how did that then evolve into a fully-fledged rock band? The initial guitar ensemble, I just started it because there was a handful of students that really took a liking to it and were going beyond if I did a lesson, say, on, you know, three open chords, that they could finish that in no time. And they wanted more. So I said, well, let's do a little club before school and we can branch out. We can, you know, go to the next level. We could do bar chords or power chords or whatever. Start reading tablets or whatever it may be. I didn't really know what it was. At that point, I remember we were doing just, you know, melodies for, you know, Beethoven's Ode to Joy. And again, this is how you do a bar chord. Um, random, very random things. And then I think someone, one of the kids asked, can we play a song? Can we do a song I sing? I said, sure. And so I went and I charted, I picked a couple songs that were just three chord songs, you know, some early Beatles stuff and whatever else it may be. And at that point, uh, a buddy had lent me his bass and I had one of my drum sets in the room and we already had a piano in the room. So we had the makings of a yeah. band in there. You're right there. Yeah. And when we put this song together and this girl her name's Danica and she sang, um, something clicked then to say, okay, this is not a guitar ensemble where we play, you know, Ode to Joy. Uh, this is going to be more of a performing ensemble. We're going to do songs. And it, it evolved quickly, only in the sense that kids got really excited about it. And it got to the point, almost still like it is now. It's like, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And I get that every day. And it's like, okay, sure. You know, but after it was, you know, all right, we're going to sing songs. 
Uh, and if you know how to play guitar, you might be able to pick up the bass. So here's how you play the root notes, you know, and it was just simple stuff, literally quarter notes on the root, root notes. Over months, it, that really started to bloom. This started to get some outward attention, right? It did, except to that point, we had done just a handful of concerts, at, traditionally at school, you know, your spring and winter concert, and maybe a couple other ones, you know, we did one up in our library and whatever, and in my classroom. Um, but I had never even thought that to travel with the kids. And the first thing that happened was uh, a parent had uh, recommended us to Ballet X, which is um, a huge ballet uh, company out of Philadelphia, yeah. out of the Wilma Theater. I believe they're still there. And uh, their director, Christine, called me. I remember she called me in my classroom. She, they put me through. And... Um, I remember vaguely, you know, she was saying like, well, we're this dance organization and we're looking to do this. And I remember saying like, well, we don't really dance here. Yeah. <laughs> what is it again? You know, and it was probably because I had 30 kids behind me, you know, I'm trying to hear the phone. And I remember I just said, sure, how about you come in and we'll talk about it. And so we came in, they came into rehearsal, I think, just to observe what we were doing. And she, they saw, you know, we're really, you know, culturally diverse and she saw they saw you know the uh, different music that we were doing i think maybe just the energy that was there and what they were doing was they were writing and choreographing a new ballet and they wanted to do it based on you know um, city school kids and it that turned out to be jackson sounds uh, their ballet and uh, matthew neenan is the choreographer when that ballet debuted which was the next year they invited the band to come perform at the Wilma to kind of, you know, start the show. Yeah. So we did, and actually it was two years that we did, you know, performances there, but that was the first time we ever traveled is yeah. to go do that. So when that starts happening, when you like, you know, you get this opportunity to travel with the kids and you know, you perform for an audience, I'm sure it was a great response. Did you have any sort of eureka moment where you're like, oh my gosh, we are really onto something here. Yeah. I don't think it was a eureka moment that was all of a sudden like, but I just, at that point, I felt like this is working. You know, we played in the lobby of the Wilma and there was you know, probably a few hundred people in there and there was a really strong reception. And it wasn't just, you know, parents and, you know, people from Jackson. There was people that were just there to see the ballet at the Wilma that night. So, you know, I guess, you know, in a sense it was that moment because I'm like, I just, we, we talked earlier to say like those moments of think like, well, this is we're on to something here. Yeah. This is really fun and this is working and the kids love it first and foremost. That gave us a ton of energy yeah. to go back and say, well, let's try to, how can we travel again? This was so much fun. I also, you know, recognize that it's networking. If I can, if we can go out and we can connect with a lot of people and they know what we're trying to do, we're trying to build a music program, we're trying to get this band going, then they'd be more inclined to help us. So at what point did the band get its name? That was probably in our, maybe our fourth year. We were just the Andrew Jackson rock band at that point. And the idea of actually naming the band had come up probably every year, but you know, it's elementary, middle school kids throwing out a lot of silly ideas and it's like, yeah, it's ridiculous now. <laughs> and, I, and I remember saying to them like, hey, if you want to name it, that's great. And I just said, it's got to have some significance, you know, to either, you know, Philadelphia public schools, to Jackson, to whatever. It has to have some significance, um, have some meaning. 
And right around, I think, 2012, um, a girl came to me. Her name is Jasmine. And she, you know, she was mature beyond her years. And it's it's a good story because I still am very close with Jazz. And she's actually starting college this month. So to think like she, I, I've known her since she was in second grade. And she probably named the band when she was in fifth grade. Um, she came to me. And instead of just blurting it out, she waited when she knew like I was on lunch and she came into my office and can I talk to you? And she said, she said, I, we spent so much time here. We love this environment You know, we feel safe. We're happy here. And she's like, it's like a family. Can we call it home? I just thought, well, that's great. You know, um, I think later that day we had a rehearsal and we proposed it to the kids that were in the band at that time. And it was kind of like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'll never forget, I went home uh, that weekend and I went online to a little design site and I worked up the um, logo that we have that we still use today with the little red house. I did probably about 10 of them, 10 different ones, and I put them all on the uh, smart board when the kids got back the next week and it was almost unanimous that they all pointed to that one, like that's it. So within no time we went from just generic, you know, Andrew Jackson rock band and having a name and a logo. And that was the year that it all really started to gel. Just so much fun. So through all this time, uh, you know, Philadelphia schools have had notorious budget problems. Um, have there been any moments between, you know, the time this started and today that you thought that, you know, the band would have to stop? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess four or five years ago when we really got wind of the budget crisis and how bad it was, um, the district had laid off some... Uh, arts and music teachers and friends of mine had gotten you know their letters that they were laid off so you know, I was coming home every night from work and looking at my mailbox you know seriously thinking like I could be laid off and um, you know at that time the EC money had dried up it's extracurricular so you know, I wasn't getting paid for the time with the band which was fine um, because I loved that I knew you know I'm not gonna give this up just because I'm not getting paid at the time um, you know, and that it it wasn't resolved quickly. It took years. I mean, just last year was the first year that we have you know partial step increase. So um, yeah, you know, it was probably two three years that I was real nervous. Like, well, how am I going to keep this going? And it really, you know, the answer was if you're willing to do it without getting paid, then you can keep doing it. It's not like they're going to come and say, you know, after a couple of years, I realized and there was some a lot of older supportive teachers to say, you're not going to get cut, you know. Um, and they even said, you know, maybe if they do lay off, it'll be for a summer and we hire you in September, you know, and I'm a total worry work by nature. So, you know, I'm freaking out, but, but they, you know, they assured me like you're safe here. It was difficult throughout the entire process. It still is, but, um, you know, there was just some moments in there that I felt this could be in jeopardy. One of the most highly viewed videos of the group on YouTube is of the song Little Talks by Monsters of Men. Is it true that that band actually visited the group? They did. What was that like? How did that come to be? People won't believe the story, but we're always looking for, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for material and I have a playlist um, in iTunes set up. When I hear something, I think like that would be great for the band because there's a certain, you know, instrumentation and a feel and 
a skill set that uh, is good for us. But I heard Monsters and Men on the radio, and I'm like, this is just a great band. It's just a fun sound. And I so I bought the album, and I listened to it, and I was really hooked on it. And I remember driving into work that day thinking, I'm going to present this to the kids because the kids can be harsh, real harsh sometimes. Like, that's corny, Mr. A. <laughs> but before I got to the presentation where I said, you know, I'll say, like, oh, guys, I want you to check out this band and this song specifically. Go home and check it out. And let me know what you think because, you know, I think it would be good for us. Before I got to it, Jasmine, who I referenced earlier, said, Mr. A, there's this new band called Of Monsters and Men. I think we should do one of their songs. And I'm like, you, you're reading my mind. We fell in love with that first record. And we did, I want to say we did probably at least 75% of the record. You know, we did Little Talks and it's like, let's do Mountain Sound now. Let's do King and Lionheart now. And we loved them. And it was just, it had so much energy. It was so much fun. And so we were shooting videos of them, probably what you saw in the, uh, just us in the classroom. And Jasmine, uh, like I said, mature beyond her years, she collected all the videos and sent them off to them. I, I guess, you know, somewhere online had their management, whatnot. And she sent the videos off and they actually got back to her. And they just said, we love this. You know, unfortunately, we're in Iceland yeah. right now. And, you know, so we, uh, you know, we won't be able to visit you, but thanks for thinking of us. And fast forward, um, I guess a year, I, I'll never forget. I was out uh, with a friend at UPenn, around UPenn, and it was a brutally cold night and Jazz called me. And I remember being outside, like just shivering. And she said, Monsters is coming back to Philadelphia on tour. And she said, we should reach out to them again. And I said, email me the contact, whoever contacted you before, and I'll send them, you know, more, I guess, professional, you know, uh, email. And she did. And I sent off some videos and I explained who we were, you know, and uh, he got back to me. And it was from that point, it was about six months and they said, we want to do it. Let's see if we can make it happen. So it really came down to almost the last day where they said, we're going to land in Philadelphia. We're on this tour. We're going to land in Philadelphia and we have to be at you know, the venue at 6 p.m. So we might be able to come over to you by 12 p.m. And it was really just, we're going to try and make this happen. And I said, we said, Whatever you can do. We'll be here. Yeah, we'll be here. <laughs> and it was a Sunday. It was Mother's Day. Okay. I think they emailed me on Friday night and they said, we're going to do this Sunday at noon. And so I gave them directions and he texted me, the manager texted me and said, they're here. And Jazz and I went to the front door and opened it. And in walks, you know, this band from Iceland that's, you know, touring the world at this point because, you know, they have, you know, a hit single and they're in movies and on this major tour. And they walk in and she and I looked at each other like, is this really happening? And yeah, when they and the band walked in the room, the kids were all set up and ready to play because they even said they didn't have a lot of time, like maybe an hour and a half. They specifically requested like a really intimate um, event, no media, just parents, if anyone, you know, outside of the band itself. And there was a huge language barrier it was really almost through their management that we were able to really talk to them. Because usually we've had other um, artist sessions where it's a lot of Q&A and then we'll play one of the artist's songs and they'll tell us about that song and the history and whatnot. 
uh, and we just really played. I think we had, we played five or six of their songs with them. And I'll never forget too, we had the mics set up and guitars, everything for them. And they played, I think everything, but uh, the girl Danica that was singing with us then and Jasmine, they knew, like the band knew like, no, they've got this. I had a friend or two there and I remember she walked up and said, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen because there was so much positive energy in the room and it really was that moment like for me that was like this is unbelievable i can't believe we're doing this and you know the kids obviously the band kids were on cloud nine and um i'm not a social media guy but you know people are saying we're blowing up because you know monsters fans all over the world are like where are they playing where can i get tickets (laughs) no we're in the basement of a building in south philly (laughs) so it was a really really special event you must have been even starstruck yourself oh absolutely yeah was there a moment during that session where you sort of looked and saw this band that came to you to play with these kids and thought back to the guitar ensemble and back to you know starting at this school with no program no doubt. I'll, I'll fully admit, I probably don't go rehearsal without thinking that, without going back to being up in 211 in that room, thinking like, how am I going to make this work? You know, I, I just want to keep my job. You know, whether I'm thriving in my job, I just want to keep my job. And then, you know, the idea of and I, you know, to try to do a before school ensemble, it's just not geared for success because you're, you're dependent on kids waking up early to come to you and it's, it, they usually never work. So that before school ensemble was really, you know, the attendance was you're gonna have three kids one day and 10 kids the next and it wasn't conducive to success. And it was really just everyone's groggy. So I think back to that and it's like, we went from there to playing with this international band right now. Yeah. And, you know, I've had, you know, various moments. They're not the same for me and the kids. Uh, I think I've told you that we've had six events with the Hooters at this point. And that really, every time, you know, they've become friends with me at this point. And every time I play with them, they're the sweetest guys. They're so supportive of home and Jackson. But when I play with them, I, I go right back to being 13 years old and, you know, sitting in my basement and staring at their records and playing them trying to figure out the parts and it's like wow this is crazy so what would you say has been the biggest show for home so far not in terms of attendance but the biggest show was when we did the aft national conference in washington dc and it was it was definitely lightning in a bottle because randy weingarten the president of the american federation of teachers uh, visited philadelphia and I don't know how, but she had Jackson on her list as one of the public schools to visit that, that day. And I think maybe I had had some things hanging in the classroom from when we did, you know, the thing with Ballet X and maybe a couple other things. She said, oh yeah, well, let me hear you. And so, you know, someone went and pulled, you know, the other two or three kids from the other classes and we played for her. And I'll never forget, she, we finished that song. It was actually um, Skyscraper by Demi Lovato. Oh, yeah. We finished that song and that quickly she said, she clapped her hand, she said, I'm taking you to Washington DC with me this summer. <laughs> right then and there. <laughs> right then and there, yeah. And we kind of looked at each other like, what? Like we've been down the street. So we're at, you know, we're in South Philly and we went to uh, the Wilma Theater, you know, uh, 10 blocks down on Broad Street. And that was huge for us to think we're going to Washington. 
Um, and, you know, obviously we're so excited and she left and then it becomes, was she serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they're asking me every rehearsal, was she serious? And I said, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't talk to her regularly. So we ended up playing a gig. They were honoring uh, our former principal, Lisa Kaplan. And I just remember from what I remember musically at the gig was that uh, the kids were really unhappy because basically we were we were wallpaper. You know, we, we we were playing during cocktail hour and, you know, the kids had gotten a little bit spoiled where, you know, you have a thousand people looking at you and yeah. you know, <laughs> clapping at, you know, hanging on your every note. And I, I just remember them and just telling them like, hey, sometimes you have gigs like this, yeah. you know, it's they're not all great. And so um, I remember we were wrapping up and they were just kind of hanging their heads like, oh, this is uh, we hate this. We, let's just get back. And uh, Jerry Jordan, the president of the PFT, was in the audience that night and uh, he came up to me and he said, you're going to Washington. He said, I watched you. And I called uh, Randy and we confirmed it. Wow. Yeah. So, and you know, we got back to work, I think the next day and we started, and you know, she put me in touch with someone from the AFT and we started making plans. So you guys didn't even know that you were doing an audition that night. No, that's <laughs> what I tell the kids. I still say it. And I still tell that story to, uh, you know, every band that comes through to say like, you know, if you're unhappy with the gig, if the sound is bad, if it's, you know, we've played it where it's free, literally freezing cold, we've played in brutally cold weather. And uh, also, you know, when it's 95 degrees out and just miserable conditions. And I said, but you have to treat everyone yeah. like, you know, you're playing. And I basically tell them, even if you're just playing to a kid that's in the second grade at Jackson and you inspire him, hey, mom, I want to be in that band yeah. in a year or two. Um, I said, then, you know, you've done good work. Yeah. Um, but no, we had no idea that Jerry Jordan was there. And it was just this whirlwind, you know, to think like, oh, you know, we're all going to have our own rooms at this beautiful hotel and uh, we're going to stay over. You know, to us, it was like we, we didn't do anything like this. The thing I'll never forget about that trip and that gig is we all went out. Um, you know, my parents actually came out from Florida. My girlfriend was there with me at the time. And, and we all went out to this beautiful dinner in Washington. It was such a great night. We walked back and, you know, and the next day we performed in the uh, afternoon and there was thousands of people there and just the fact that it was there for you know we're playing to teachers and we're playing for you know like you know just being supportive of public education and for us to be and i don't want to say the poster child for supporting arts education but uh you know that's one of the things that i'm most proud of if we can be you know beneficial for someone that inspire you know a new teacher that's the, you know it's you're always going to go through that period where you know like this is really hard you know, like i said i'm about to go into my 11th year and i have anxiety like the job is really hard but you find you know elements of your job that you love so much that make it worth it and things balance out and also you know you're gonna you can inspire you know so many people are doing it you know i can't tell you the amount of young students and and or their parents that come up and say you know they want to be in home when they're older they're they're in pre-k now they're yeah um i mean I, I had a parent one time say that they want to have their child in home and you know long story short she pats her belly she was pregnant <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that's quite the pipeline <laughs> yeah exactly and, and i just remember thinking it's like okay we'll do the math like i'd have to be here for another yeah. eight <laughs> ten years or so yeah. to 
get him or her into home, but maybe that'll work out. So has there been any talk of bringing a program like this to other schools within the Philadelphia School District or really anywhere? Yeah, from what I hear, you know, I don't interact that often with, um, you know, other teachers, of course, we're all in our own world and we really are in our classrooms and, you know, it's just, it absorbs so much of our time and energy. Uh, but at the PDs, I do hear, especially right now, that there's a lot brewing with trying to um, implement this into other schools and take it to uh, secondary education as well. You know, I think there's a, a couple of the schools that are doing it around Philadelphia. And I could be wrong. There could be 30 schools that are doing it. I've just, like I said, you don't really know what's happening in other buildings unless they're, you know, we've been around, you know, we gig a lot and we've had some media so I think people are rec can recognize what's going on at Jackson. But, um, you know, a couple of other teachers in the district have reached out to me for just some advice and how to get started in doing this. And I also teach a class at University of the Arts, which is based on home. And from everything from trying to fundraise to how you pick songs to how you do rehearsals and how you gig. So some of the students from UArts that have gone through there obviously have gone on to, you know, uh, get gigs in their schools and they reach back and say, we're trying to do this now too, you know, where should I start? So much of what has been built with home was on your back. So, you know, fueled on your passion, you weren't a guitarist, but you learned how to teach guitar. You said, this is the most successful thing I gotta, I gotta, you know, do this. Um, you spent so much time completely unpaid working on this. You put in the blood, sweat, and tears to fundraise all of this stuff. It can be pretty intimidating to think about, you know, making an impact on these kids' lives, but, you know, sort of sacrificing so much of your own time and money and passion and attention in the process. So do you have any advice for young teachers who want to do the same thing, who are entering the field for the first time uh, and might, you know, see this daunting task, as you put it, uh, as daunting as it is. The one thing I would say to them, I said, it's, I've never done anything that's more rewarding and it's worth it. Oh, I mean, all that, you know, you call it the blood, sweat and tears. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I'm going into my 11th year, you know, sometimes you'll get, you know, your family, your friends kind of heckling like, oh yeah, summer boy, you have to go back to work now. And I'll be honest, I said, I can't wait to get back to work, yeah. you know, and I can't wait for our first rehearsal. And we have a gig in three weeks, you know, and I can't wait for it. And I'm being honest, you know, um, we could talk about some of the bad stuff, but trust me, it's it's every day that we have rehearsal, which is three days a week. So we'll, we'll exceed 100, you know, rehearsals and events a year. Wow. So that much time spent with kids and, you know, one of the kids in the band, now, I think I'm going on my fourth year with her. I've been in situations where I've been with one kid for five years. Uh, yeah, if you don't miss them, there's something wrong with you, yeah. you know? And so uh, we're having a great time and we're eager to get back because it's it's certainly the most musical the band has ever been just because the amount of time that we've been together and um, the level of devotion at this current time. So that's, that's what I would say to them. You know, the, the downside to my position at Jackson and the way home works is that it's voluntary. So it's an after school program, but it's, you know, 
I don't want to say unfortunately, but it's a program that you don't just do for an hour after school and walk away. I mean, granted, the rehearsals are pushing two hours and there's a million things to be done when you get home and the, the charts and the calls and the emails and you know the buses and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, there's a ton to be done. So it's it's be, become its own job. And, you know, and I do love it. I still to this day love it. But I think like, well, what's most important is my you know, 8.30 to three o'clock job. So I have to put that first and, you know, I have nine grade levels to teach. So, you know, that balancing act is, hasn't gotten easier yeah. in figuring out, you know, my job, home, and what little, you know, personal life that I have, <laughs> trying to put it all together and balance it out. And, you know, when I think, you know, when I just crave having more time throughout the academic year, uh, you know, the only thing that could go away is the band. Um, you know, I do my private lessons after rehearsals and it's not like I'm going to end that because I need the supplemental income. I'm not making a ton as a teacher. So, you know, obviously I'm not going to give that up. So the only, if I want to have a little breathing room, it would be give up the band. So I think about that often, you know, throughout the grind of the year, it's like, well, how can I do it? You know, and in the years past, it's been trying to have discussions with, I've even talked to Dr. Haidt about it to say like, you know, cause he's, you know, come forward and said like, he really um, appreciates what I do and hopes that other schools can have something like home in their school. And, you know, I've said to him, you know, what I really would love to happen is that home becomes part of my job where, you know, instead of teaching you know, 35 general music classes a week, I might teach 12 to 20, whatever. And then I have whatever the last third of the day for rehearsal and, you know, small group lessons with the band. But that's just not the structure of a job, of our job, you know, a K through eight general music teacher. It's just not the way our, or any, you know, any school like ours, K through eight school. You mentioned you, you teach at UArts and it's, you're teaching alternative. Alternative ensembles. Okay, alternative ensembles. I think if you back that up to just sort of alternative ways of thinking, to me, the, one of the most fascinating pieces of this whole story is how, uh, you know, in a world that is very, very traditional, that being, you know, schooling, public schooling, you know, there's a, there's a way we've done things for a long time. Uh, specifically with music, like you said, it's more orchestral, it's more band, that kind of thing. You've created something that has, in you know, short order, become wildly successful, and you know, has reaped many benefits for many people. Do you have any advice for somebody in teaching now or getting into teaching for how they can try and think that way and come up with ways and and even suggest ways of doing things of teaching children of you know working through subjects that are different than the way it's traditionally been done? You know, my advice is follow your passion. I mean, I grew up listening to rock and roll music, singer songwriter music, and all the music that we do. My passion for that music and my love of playing got me through it. I say, think about walking into your classroom. You know, what's in, t what's in your classroom? You know, if you walk in mind, you can clearly see within seconds, oh, this is what they do here because it looks like guitars are growing, in, you know, off the walls. <laughs> and I think I have eight or nine drum sets in a row set up and keyboards around the perimeter of the room. So you can clearly see it's not, you know, a string program or a brass program. In, in all honesty, I said when I first went down and looked into that room and I couldn't even get in, I just saw it. I had that image in my head. 
I have all this space. The acoustics are probably good here, even to the point that we're sitting like just below street level and we're looking out to the corner of 12th and Federal. And I said, I thought like, how great would this be? Be, you know, just looking out at this all day long. I mean, that's the rock band experience right there for any rock band, yeah. right? You're practicing in basements. Exactly. Also, I would tell all young teachers is that you're not going to have, and I was told this, you're not going to have your dream gig in your first year. And... And I certainly didn't. I was at the school that I was at my first year. But um, instead of thinking, and I'll be honest, I, I walked through Jackson my first couple months and I would say, oh, I'll get my resume together over the holidays and I'll start applying in winter, yeah. you know, and with no intention of staying there. And then it kind of dawned on me and said like, well, there are some great advantages to being here. And I try to convey this to the younger teachers to say, I didn't get my dream gig where someone didn't hire me and say, uh, we want you to teach a rock band and you can play all the music that, you know, you can play Led Zeppelin and the who and whatever. Um, but I created it. So, you know, if your passion is for whatever, starting an ORF program or whatever it may be, well, you're at an advantage if there's nothing at your school. I mean, in large part, you know, your principal pays an enormous part of that. And I've been very fortunate that I think I've been through four principals now. And, you know, the one that's been with me the longest is Lisa Kaplan, uh, just retired um, a year ago. But she was always supportive. You know, it's like, I oh, he's got his band down there in the basement. They do their thing. And but not no one ever came and say, you know what, I'd, I'd rather you do this. Um, and that's a blessing. So, you know, for the younger teachers, I think they have to convey that to their principals or administration to say like, you know, I know this can work. I want to do this. I'm passionate about it. And um, it can happen. Yeah. I think that everything you're saying can also can be applied pretty much in any industry, right? You know, young folks who are chomping at the bit to get going. Um, follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. That's right. Even even if, you know, the the job that you get right out of the gate isn't the dream job, you're, if it is, it's, you're probably wrong, right? It's probably yeah. not what you think it is. Exactly. <laughs> so you just got to find the opportunities to make it your dream job. That's awesome. What's a common misconception about you? Well, it may sound funny, but that uh, that I'm actually a good guitar player. Oh, but you play guitar in the band. In the band, I do. Yeah, I picked up guitar honestly in um, in grad school, and I, you know I've been around guitarists my whole life, but you know, I'm a piano player and a drummer, and um, one of my teachers in grad school said, you don't want to lock yourself away behind a piano because you lose that close proximity to your students. And I started actually taking guitar lessons then um, because I saw the way she was conducting her lessons, which was, you know, she'd strap guitar on her back and she'd be able to, you know, wa walk through her classroom, get close to the kids. It's such a strong presence yeah. and it works so very well. And um, you know, I, I never spent the time like I do on my other instruments where I really, really sit down to work really hard at it. But, you know, because we had such a slow beginning to the band, learning two, three chord songs that, uh, you know, I basically stayed a few lessons ahead of the yeah, kids. Yeah, so you were learning with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A great example is this past year, um, Jocelyn, our singer and keyboard uh, player, picked. She was picking all these Queen songs to do and Zeppelin songs. Wow. So she picked. Yeah, she picked. Uh, the first one was Killer Queen, 
And these are essentially what we call piano songs. Yeah. You know, Freddie Mercury is writing them on a piano and they're in flat keys. So if you know anything about music, guitarists don't want to play in flat keys. At least I don't. And they want to play in D or A or E. Yeah. And, you know, she's picking these songs and she actually picked Cashmere. And wow. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I really have to come home and shed. Yeah. I have to watch all the tutorials and get out my, you know, official Led Zeppelin books and say, all right, Joss, we could figure this out. And we really break it down. That's part of the appeal and part of the fun is that we break it down together. I mean, the last song that we played at the end of this year, last year in June, was Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh my gosh. And granted, we cut out the entire operatic section, sure. but you know, the rest of it, it, that's a monster song. And she was the one telling me, Mr. A, never say no, never say no. And we did, you know, we took some liberties with it, but there are the things that, uh, you know, really pushed me. And that's another thing that I, I'll try to convey to other young teachers is that if you're a musician like myself, that, you know, I've been at it since I was, a, you know, a baby, essentially, you know, my piano was right there and it was in this house since I was born. And so I was always gravitating towards it. But, you know, if I don't practice or play, you know, one of my instruments for a day, you know, if I go one day, I get skitsy, I have to play. Uh, so you're always trying to push yourself. You're always learning. And that's one of the aspects of the band that I really love. It's like, well, I don't know how to play Killer Queen or, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody. How did Brian May do that? Yeah. And you know, I've got to sit down and go back to the drawing board and figure it out. I love to hear that inner city Philly elementary school kids are wanting to sing Robert Plant and Freddie Mercury. That's yeah. that's really that's yeah. really cool. Uh, definitely a highlight this past year. If you could send a message to every Philadelphian, what would you say? Don't underestimate your public schools. I mean, it would apply to a lot, you know, in the demographic of you know young couples and having children. I've seen a lot of negative attitudes, even from people that are in education yeah. and administration to kind of look at it as like, oh, well, that's just, you know, and I've heard it, heard it from uh, our own students, not necessarily, well, actually, I, I will say, I'm almost embarrassed to say it's come from band kids because beyond music, you try to teach them some, you know, life lessons as well, but to say, you know, Mr. Ray, what are you doing at a school like this? Wow, they would say that. Oh, absolutely, I've heard that from dozens of kids because they might have that misconception that, I'm unhappy at Jackson and they use, you know, air quotes to say it's not a real school. Well, what's a real school? Yeah. You know, are, are you any less or more important than the kid that's in, you know, the Council Rock School District? No, no, you deserve equal to him or her. When I went to Jackson, we we're probably more than double the enrollment from when I started 10, 11 years ago. And I think because people were, oh, not, we're not sent into an inner city public school. And, you know, that's changed. That's changing throughout the city. It's certainly changed in our neighborhood uh, with the, you know, the growing community that's there. And they have to be aware of that. What is the most encouraging thing you see in Philadelphia today? That we're still hiring teachers. There's a misconception that, you know, the arts are getting cut. Well, they're not now. And, you know, they're doing a great job at our district of making positions available and prioritizing them and starting new initiatives and trying to get other organizations. I know there's a big push and I don't know much about it, but they're working with the Grammy Association now um, in hopes, my hopes is that they're going to get, you know, programs like uh, what we have at Jackson into other schools. 
um, you know, where the kids are playing guitars, keyboards, drums, singing. But that's been, you know, really optimistic to say amidst all of this that you can still get a job teaching music. For more on Chris and to keep up with Andrew Jackson Elementary School's rock band Home, you can head to podphillyhoo.com forward slash home band. That's H-O-M-E-B-A-N-D. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe. You can also tune in on Instagram and Twitter at podphillyhoo. Special thanks to Craig Markowitz and to Chris for being on the show. Podcast art by Lauren Carhart. Music by Lee Rosevere. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. I'll see you next week. But for now, stay tuned to hear Home and Of Monsters and Men performing Little Talks.
ship will carry out, body safe to shore.